If you think it's getting just too expensive to find a comfortable, quiet night's sleep in the top sites of Europe, there's an alternative you probably didn't know about that Trish Clark would like to recommend. She's the author of a series of guidebooks to accommodations at convents, monasteries, and seminaries in Europe. Her Good Night and God Bless series recommends places to stay in Austria, Czech Republic, and Italy. And Volume 2 covers France, the UK, and Ireland. Her latest is an e-book guide to staying along the Camino de Santiago in France and Spain. Trish, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Rick. Tell us about the first time you ever slept in a convent. Well, it happened some decades ago, actually, and I was at the end of a working holiday in London, and I decided to spend a week in Rome on my way back home to Australia. I planned to to really let my hair down, to have lots of fun, go out at night, see all the sights. But when I arrived at the hostel that I'd planned to stay in, much to my disappointment, I was told that they were completely booked out. However, I think fearing that I was about to burst into a flood of tears, the manager told me not to worry and that he would ring the convent up the road. Well, Rick, I can tell you, I was very worried because I hadn't long left school and having been taught by nuns, the last thing I wanted to do was to spend any part of my holiday with them. However, I didn't have any money and so therefore I I couldn't afford a hotel, so I had no choice at all and I soon found myself wandering up the Via Sistina, wandering up the hill to this wretched convent and I was imagining all sorts of terrible things, that there were going to be rigid rules, that I'd have to be up at six in the morning to attend Mass and uh, I'd forgotten the words to grace before meals years ago, so I was very concerned when I found myself at the front door. Anyway, I took a couple of deep breaths and pressed the buzzer, and uh, before I could change my mind, the door sprung open, and I ventured inside, and I noticed that I was in a very airy, marble-tiled foyer, black and white tiles on the floor, and there was a lovely, wide, grand marble staircase leading upstairs, And on the left-hand side was a reception area. And I remember seeing a very, very large typewriter behind which sat a very, very old nun. And thank goodness she smiled. And uh, I started to feel better immediately. Now, she didn't speak a word of English and I didn't speak a word of Italian, of course, but we managed and it wasn't long before I had the key to my room in my pocket. And as I turned to wander up the step, she called me back and she handed me a piece of paper And later when I looked, uh, I noticed that she'd written down all the cheap restaurants in uh, in the area. So I walked up the stairs, got to my room, opened the door, and again I, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, the room was only small, but it seemed to have everything I needed, and it was absolutely spotlessly clean. I soon got over my trepidation about sleeping in a bed that was once occupied by a nun, and uh, the next morning I, I was woken by the sound of the most beautiful music, and I realised that it was coming from the chapel and the nuns were singing hymns during morning mass. When the singing stopped, breakfast was ready. And this was another revelation. I mean, I, I walked down to the dining room and it was beautifully set up with white linen and the cutlery shone. And young postulants were doing the breakfast. And it was a time of day that they obviously relished because they chatted away where they could and they obviously enjoyed talking to people from all over the world. And I can remember them bringing these big baskets full of the most fragrant bread rolls and placing them on each table. And this was followed by huge silver pots of the most delicious milky coffee. I was quite unsophisticated then, and it was only some years later that I realised that this was actually cafe latte. (laughs) 
it was really strange. I found myself quite enjoying this experience. And uh, at the end of the week, I was really sorry to leave. But I found myself seeking out these places whenever I travelled overseas. But the interesting thing is that a couple of years ago, I had to update this convent for the book, of course. So I went back only to discover that nothing much had really changed. I mean, oh. I, I knocked at the door or I, uh -huh. I rang the buzzer and the door sprung open and I walked in and I looked to the left and there was a very old nun <laughs> sitting behind a new computer. It wasn't the same one, I'm sure. What decade or what year was that first visit? Well, this would have been in the uh, 1970s. In the 1970s, I think I did the same exact thing. The youth hostel did was you? full, and they said, go to the convent or go to the monastery. And you did? And I thought, you know, just like you, uh, curfews and uh, all this kind of... Uh, well, there was a curfew then. Well, there was a curfew, yeah. But it was a beautiful mm. experience. And you went on to write a book about this, and now... You've got two volumes, and you list all the different convents and monasteries and different religious accommodations all over. One volume is for Austria, Czech Republic, and Italy, and the other one is for France, the UK, and Ireland. Yes, that's right. These places are everywhere, and people don't know about them. It's rags to riches for a backpacker, and today, even if you're not a backpacker, it provides a very, sometimes austere, but as you mentioned, very clean and very friendly and very comfortable, if basic, alternative to fancy hotels. Well, I find that they generally provide cheap, clean, safe, and well-located accommodation. And when I travel, that's all I want. And I find that uh, I stay in them when I'm traveling on my own, particularly uh, when I'm traveling with my children or with my girlfriends. We always seek out these places, and it's always a treat to find a new one. There are hundreds of convent and monastery guest houses in France alone. The Maison du Seminaire down in Nice is one of my favorites. And I remember spending a week there and making this my base as I researched other convent and monastery accommodation in the area. And it was a most pleasant time because the monastery, the seminary itself, or the guest house itself, actually faces the Bay of Angels. And the views from the front-facing window are over the beach and over the bay, and the ferry to Corsica sails past the front window. And I couldn't help thinking when I was staying there whether whether the glorious views would have provided inspiration for the trainee priests mm. or may possibly have been a source of major distraction. And I, I figure it may have been the latter because the seminary did have to close down, didn't it? That's, that's right. I would imagine you've had cases where you can actually enjoy the Gregorian chants or some of the traditional music that has been sung in these cathedrals for, for a thousand years. Yes, that's right. There's there's a little village, a lovely little village, which I'm sure you know, called Solem, S-O-L-E-S-M-E-S, -E and it's not far from Le Mans, and there are two magnificent monasteries here, one for monks and one for nuns, and this order has been credited with reviving the old medieval music of the church, the Gregorian chant, mm. and you can hear the chanting in either of the churches uh, during the various services during the day. As, as you know, the Gregorian chant is, it's almost an emotional thing when you listen to monks and nuns mm. chanting. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Trish Clark. Her book is Good Night and God Bless. And Trish, these places uh, sort of originated as part of Christian hospitality. In the old days, 
they would just offer uh, wayfarers and pilgrims a roof over their head, I would imagine. But they've evolved yes, now, right. and, and they're actually in a position where they need to raise revenue. And, you know, the traditional sources of revenue, farming or whatever, you encounter that in the history of these monasteries where they would make perfume or they would make some kind of medicine or they would farm. Yes. But now they are innkeepers in the 21st century. Yes, well, well, they still do all the other things as well. And you're right, hospitality has always been a tradition of the religious orders. But these days, they've been forced to make it more of a business, I think, because Mm -hmm. in many cases, the religious orders are are left with these huge complexes where there are numerous, in some cases, hundreds and hundreds of empty rooms. And to me, it just seems to be a smart thing to do, you know, to put in some ensuite bathrooms and try and attract travellers. Trish, when you're checking into a convent or a monastery, do you feel like you're you're dealing with Mother Superior and are you surrounded by monks chanting or is it something that they hire people to run for them? Uh, in some cases, they do. I mean, there's an order that you've probably heard of called Carmelites and they're an enclosed order. And I've noticed that they have throughout Europe a lot of convent guest houses. When I stayed in one in Rome recently... The nuns move to the top floor of the building Mm -hmm. and they have a small hospitality company running the accommodation section. So in cases like that, you actually don't even see the nuns. Mm -hmm. But then I'm thinking of another convent in Rome called the Casa di Santa Brigitta, where where the nuns have a really hands-on role in running the guest house and they serve breakfast, they serve lunch, they serve dinner. I'm sure they could run a five-star hotel, actually. They have those unique... uh scarfs with the band on them. They do, yes. Have you been there? I love that place, Casa Santa Brigitta, yeah. And you step in and it's like stepping into another world and these women are so peaceful and so gentle. Aren't they amazing? And so loving and they kind of, they don't walk, they glide. And you go through this polished marble interior and you feel like you've found an oasis in the middle of crusty medieval Rome. That's right. And you know, I had a lovely experience there when I stayed there. I I wanted a taxi and I said to the the sister on reception, oh, should I just walk out onto the road and and wave one down? And she said, don't worry, I'll get one for you. And sort of in this flurry of white robes, she strode out down the steps onto the footpath. And after a few seconds, she stood out on the road and pointed at this taxi that was coming towards us. Uh. And of course, the taxi driver did exactly as he was told and came in and pulled up near the footpath. And this was followed by a very animated conversation between the two. And after they'd finished, she came over to me and she said, now, I've told him which way to go. It'll cost you 14 euro. Don't pay any more because that includes the tip. (laughs) And there's a lot to be said for having a a sister in a flowing white robe grab your taxi for you and give a little lecture to the cabbie before you go. Yes, it was a rather unique experience. Now, you know, that place is an example of a very beautiful and very popular convent that rents rooms. Consequently, it will be booked out a lot of times in advance. You need to book these things in advance in a lot of cases. Yes, you do. And it's quite easy to book these days because most of the convent guest houses have websites now, whereas, you know, 20 years ago they didn't, of course. And so you can book via the website. They've never been known as being on the cutting edge of technology, I think, but they do have computers now. No, and they're not that good at marketing either. No, that's for sure. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Trish Clark. Trish writes a book called Good Night and God Bless. Actually, two volumes. One listing convents and monasteries renting rooms in Austria, Czech Republic, and Italy, and the other one covering France, the United Kingdom, and Ireland. Now, these places are designed for pilgrims and church groups and so on, but but now they find themselves uh, needing to rent out rooms to travelers. Can anybody just find the email address or the website of these various places and, and just get a hold of them and book a room directly? 
Yes, you can, Rick. Most of these places now are building websites and you can generally make the booking via the website. What I always do, I send an, an email, or it used to be a letter, but an email in uh, in English, and then I use the language translator on the web mm-hmm. and translate it into whatever language I need and just send it off. And it's not perfect, but it works. Right. Now, there is a bit more of a language barrier in this area than you might find in hotels because of quirky reasons. I've stayed at a convent in Rome that was built, I believe, for Ukrainian pilgrims, and it is staffed by Brazilian nuns and they speak Portuguese first, Ukrainian second, Italian third, and English fourth. Uh, you get these kind of quirky mixes because of various orders and their heritage and who their, who their mission is to help. And today they're helping travelers in English with emails. So that can be a little bit complicated, but it seems to be uh, getting up to date and, and rolling with the times here. Yeah, I, I think they are, they're improving their marketing. They're not quite there yet, but they're getting better. Trish Clark is the author of the Good Night and God Bless series of guidebooks to a wide variety of accommodations at religious institutions in Europe. Her website is goodnightandgodbless.com. You'll find a link to her site in this week's Travel with Rick Steves program notes, and that's in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Now, Trish, when you go to a convent or a monastery, what is the etiquette or the the religious kind of trappings. What if somebody is not a Christian? Will they feel welcome there? What about unmarried couples, gay couples, uh, and so on? Yes, well, unmarried couples or and gay couples, I guess I probably would have a reservation there about recommending that they stay at a convent guest house. Because I know most of the convents, I know they just have single beds. Oh, no, I know a convent in Rome, Rick, which has got a king-size bed. With a king-size? Oh, I don't know about that convent. A king-size. <laughs> For years, I, just, I always <laughs> remarked it. I always was struck by how they've got these little you know, iron-framed single beds, but maybe they've gotten a little more uh, comfortable. Oh, no. Well, well, I guess, you know, there are single beds and single rooms, but yeah. no, they're a little okay. bit more with it these days. Yeah, but is there a, how much religion is put on you when you stay in one of these places? Well, I have never been pressured to attend a religious service or to go to Mass or to even say a prayer. Never mm-hmm. been pressured at all because it's changed these days. You know, it's unfortunate in some ways, but it's mm-hmm. become more of a business, Rick, yeah. and they need the income. They need, right. the, they need the income to stay in their, in their homes mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, just to live and to support the elderly nuns who, you know, might be in needing care, etc. Right. So that's just, they will have private bathrooms now and they will have less curfews. Most of them do. Yeah. Most of them do. A lot of them are just in amazing locations because historically the church would own the palace for the bishop across the square from the cathedral. Yes, and, and now that would be right, rented Rick. out just to pay the rent. Yes. I'm constantly amazed at, at how well these places are located. I mean, and particularly in Rome. I mean, the one I, I was describing at the beginning, that's in the Via Sistina, which you would probably know. It's the street that runs from the Piazza Barberini up to the Spanish Steps. And you climb into your bed and you look and you see behind the whitewash peeking through is a fresco from 500 years ago that was painted there for some bishop or some uh, religious authority, and you're sleeping in the middle of history, in the middle of culture, surrounded by you this are, wonderful yes. environment created by that religious tradition, and it's not very expensive to boot. Now, as you said, a lot of them are in the business for making money now, so they're not really the, the cost of youth hostels, but generally, Trish, what would the cost be when you're thinking about in Europe of staying in a, in a religious institution for accommodations? Well, I, I was looking this up last night, and when I stayed in uh, in a convent in Florence, 
about four years ago. I paid 40 euro a night. And then I looked at the website last night and the prices doubled. So it was about 80 euro for a room, a twin-bedded room. Two people, probably with breakfast, $110 then. Yes, something like that. So it's not youth hostel prices, but it is the privacy of a hotel. It is a special experience. And in a lot of cases, the food is heavenly. Well, it can be. And uh, the convent that you were just talking about in the in the Piazza Farnese is just around the corner from the most amazing restaurant, which you probably know as well, called La Ovive. Have you been there? I don't know about that one, but I, it's a beautiful area. That's the Campo di Fiori. Yes, that's right. It was right near the, uh, near the Pantheon, this yeah. restaurant, and it's actually run by nuns. And one thing I like about your book is with each convent or monastery you list, you also talk about things to do and places to eat in that vicinity. Yes, Church, decades ago, convents were famous for having curfews, like youth hostels. What is the situation for curfews now in convents and monasteries? Yes, I can remember when I stayed in the convent the first time, I had to be in by 10 o'clock, but I didn't really mind because breakfast was served so early that uh, by the time 10 o'clock came around, I was ready for bed anyway. <laughs> but they're more generous these days with curfews, and, uh, and not all of them have curfews either. But the ones that are run strictly by nuns, uh, generally do have an 11 o'clock, 11.30 p.m. curfew. But where there's a hospitality company involved in running the guest house, of course, it just operates like a hotel. And I think we should remind travelers that, you know, it is what it is. You don't check into a convent if you plan to be out clubbing all night long or if you plan to make a lot of noise in your room or, or party. It's, this is a different environment, and we need to be respectful of that and, and, and accept the parameters that come with the opportunity to spend less and experience more by staying in a convent. Trish's website, to know more about her work, lists convents all over the world, not just in the places of Europe that we've been talking about, goodnightandgodbless.com. And the guidebook is Goodnight, God Bless. And Trish Clark, thanks for introducing so many travelers to a wonderful alternative to your standard hotel. Well, thank you, Rick. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours all over Europe, one small group at a time. This year, you can choose from three dozen exciting itineraries covering the best of Europe from Ireland to Istanbul, Paris to St. Petersburg, and practically everywhere in between. For a free catalogue and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com. <laughs>